Glad you're here today with us. For those of you that might be with us for the first time, we're doing something a little bit different, something we don't normally do. Um, well, maybe we do do it normally now, because two years ago we did a series like this, and now we're doing it again, and maybe it'll be a regular occurrence. Um, but it's something we call summer stories. So in the summer, people are moving around, they're going different places, in and out of town, so it doesn't make sense to do something where each week builds on the week before, otherwise people get lost. And so we like to do something that um, stands on its own week in and week out. And one of those things that we did, like I said, a couple of years ago was awesome. And we decided to do it again this year is called Summer Stories. During Summer Stories, we have a person or a couple or couples from our church um, come up here, sit down on the counselor's couch. And I'm just kidding. I don't do counseling. But uh, uh, come and sit on the couch and um, talk with you a little bit about their story their story of faith, and what God has brought them through. It gives you an opportunity to hear from someone different other than me, which is great, um, but also gives you a chance to get to know um, people from our church and hopefully to not only be encouraged in your walk with Christ, but maybe you connect with um, uh, those who sit in the couch uh, over something that you have shared in your experience. And um, so a great opportunity to encourage each other and grow together as a church. And today, we are blessed to have Michael and Jennifer Brown with us. So if you want to give them a hand and welcome them. They are not nervous at all. Just going to be affirming. <laughs> Just going to be affirming. Not nervous at all. Doing great. Um, but they're going to share a little bit about their story with you today. And they've been through some, um, some challenging things. And um, it takes a lot of courage to get up here and share those things with everyone. I want you to, if you can, just for imagine yourself sitting up here and how you might feel. It's nerve-wracking to sit in front of a group of people and tell, not only tell your story, but also tell some of the struggles and things that you've been through. And so I think it's important to always remember when we're in this room together, this is not a public place. This is family. And we love each other and are encouraging each other and rooting for each other. And so I'm excited to hear from you today. Um, so why don't we just start with a little bit of background. Tell us, tell everyone where you're from and a little bit about so your spiritual beginnings and history. Great. So I'm going to get started first, I guess. Um, so I was blessed living with um, two incredible supportive parents um, and two brothers. And my father was a minister. Um, so he went away to college with us when we, I was very young, about two years old. So I really don't ever remember not being in church. I think it's kind of been a history over the last couple of weeks of this, of this idea of faithfulness and just always being a part of a church. Um, when I was about five years old, I was in my parents' room up on my um, parents' bed, and my dad talked to me about what did it mean to accept Christ. Um, and at that moment, that is where our story really took off. Um, and from the time I was very young, my mom would sign up in the nursery and in Sunday school so I could serve because from the time I was very young, I wanted to do that. Um, and so just having that support system has always been really important. Um, I was in youth. I went to camp. Um, I was on worship teams and choirs. Anytime I could be involved in the church, I was. Um, I went on multiple different mission trips um, in the United States and out. Um, and it's just always been a part of who I am. Um, when I was about 17, I went to Liberty University for a youth weekend, um, and at that moment, that's where it kind of led my desire to become an administrator of a high-need school, um, and I get to live out my dream every day, and I'm, I'm beyond blessed by that, um, and so um, when I was a little bit in my youth, um, my parents got hurt in the church that we were at, and so 
they, they stepped away, but they didn't step away from their faith, and they didn't step away from really pushing my brothers and I to continue being part of the church and a part of building that relationship with Christ. Um, so I've just really been blessed um, and been to able to have that faithful story of from the time I was very young, I was always a part of a church. And I can remember a few years ago listening to a sermon from John, and he kind of poured my heart in that moment of, I don't have a story. I don't have this grand testimony where my life just automatically changed. And I always struggled with, how do I share a testimony that's mine um, when it doesn't have a big, huge um, life change, which is amazing when you get that opportunity. And he kind of provided an eye-opening moment for me in that service. Yeah, because I, I had had a conversation when I was in high school, and I had my moments later. But, but when I was in high school, I'd always been a pretty good kid. I didn't have a lot of, you know, dramatic things happening to me. And I remember I had a youth leader, and my parents are here today, by the way. Um, and my dad was a pastor of the church that I was part of. I'm pointing to him, so you don't, but you don't have to look at him. There he is. It's my dad. It's the guy who looks like me in 30 years. But anyway, um, but, uh, but we have this youth leader, and he had this dramatic testimony. If you've been around, you've heard me tell this story. But uh, he had this dramatic testimony. He was addicted to drugs, and he would tell all these stories and everything. And then they would tell us that we needed to share our testimony. And I was like, I don't have if that's what that is, then I don't have that. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have that crazy story to tell. And I remember him looking, um, or it wasn't him actually that said it. It was later um, I was telling that story in another service one time, and somebody came up to me afterward who had had a really, really rough past. And they looked at me and they said, don't you dare discount your testimony. I would kill for a testimony like yours. <laughs> Because, is it, I mean, ultimately, isn't a testimony of faithfulness what we want? You know, wherever we start, wherever that starts, whatever rough we go through, we want a testimony where we go from that point forward and we're faithful to God. So never discount that. That's not a, that's not a testimony minimize. And, and you had that and that you developed a passion for kids. She didn't mention this because she's humble, but she's the principal at Hurley Elementary School. And uh, it's Hurley, right? Yeah. I, for a second, I panicked and thought I said the wrong school, but um, Hurley Elementary. And, um, and so you've had that testimony of faithfulness, but you went through that season where your parents got really hurt by the ministry that they were in. And then faith family, like that all sort of changed for you. And you had to go find that and, and um, uh, build that for, your, for yourself eventually. So um, that's powerful. Now, 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 we talked about the power of a testimony of faithfulness, which Jesse and Kayla kind of had that last week too. And Michael was like, well, I'm glad I'm bringing something different to the table. <laughs> so your story is a little bit different. Why don't, why don't you share? Yeah, yeah. so um, <laughs> I had to make sure the mic was on. Um, my story is different. Uh, mine is very sometimes hard to tell. Um, I didn't grow up in church, really. Uh, if we went to church, it was usually because we called my grandmother. She'd come pick us up. So we'd go to her church, which was a very um, hard church to attend as a child. Uh, Hellfire and Brimstone, Free Will Baptist, unplanned services. We would sit there for four or five hours sometimes on hard wooden pews, and it just it was hard for a child. Um, looking back on it now, I see the good and I see the value of that, that style of church. It just was not good for me as a child. So... Um, I tried to stay away from church as much as I could at that point because I thought that's what church was. I thought every church was going to be like that. And uh, 
my parents didn't really attend church. My sister would go with my grandmother too. My mom occasionally, uh, I, don't, I don't remember too much about how often she went, but it wasn't every Sunday. Um, my dad, I don't know that he'd ever stepped foot in the church from the time I could remember till I was about 16. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with him being raised in the same church when he was a child, and that may have pushed him away. Um, so from there, you know, I, one Sunday morning, I remember my grandmother had me go up to the preacher, and I told him I wanted to be saved. And uh, I was probably five years old, maybe six, and everybody made this huge deal about it. And I had no idea what they were making a huge deal about because I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know anything about it, but they made a huge deal about it. He put his hands on my head and a dot of oil on my forehead and said, you know, whatever prayer he needed to say at the time for that. And uh, he said, you're saved. You're now part of the family. And I had no idea what that meant because I wasn't taught those things. Going to church, I just, I'd listened to the preacher preach for hours, but I didn't understand what I was hearing. And there wasn't any follow-up when I got home teaching about that because that wasn't really part of our family life. Now, my parents were fantastic. They, um, they instilled a lot of morals in my sister and myself, which is why we stayed out of trouble. I mean, we didn't want to disappoint our parents. Um, and, you know, my sister's over shaking her head the same thing right now because she didn't want to disappoint our parents either. Um, so they instilled morals in us. We were, we were pretty good kids otherwise, but we just... And she had a better relationship with God than I did. She knew more. She was smarter than me. I just, I didn't take that, I didn't take that stance with everything. So it was a little bit harder. At 16, um, I'm sorry, let me back up. I started attending Boy Scouts with a friend of mine. He invited me to come to Boy Scouts when I was about 13. And we met in a Methodist church. That was really the first time I'd ever really been around a church service or people living that lifestyle. So that's where I learned the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 23 and, you know, the basics. I learned a lot of Bible stories, uh, pretty much all of the Bible stories. I just, I still didn't know exactly what it meant to be a Christian and, and how to live that way, but I was kind of going through the motions with, with Boy Scouts and my friends. Um, fast forward, turn 16, I get a license, I can drive, I can take myself to church. Uh, I went to the church that my buddy went to and really enjoyed it. The pastor was a fairly young guy at the time, maybe maybe 40. He had kids about my age, so I had never been to a church with a young pastor. Everybody had always been in their 60s, 70s, pushing retirement. I didn't feel like they related to me. I didn't think that they For the record, the 40 is a young pastor. It is now. It is now. <laughs> 40 was ancient when I was 13. But so... I didn't, this was the first time I'd ever been part of a church to where I felt like I was actually part of the church. And uh, I got involved in the youth program, uh, started attending the activities that were done there. And uh, one Sunday, while the preacher was preaching his sermon, I had this feeling come over me and I didn't know what it was. It was a feeling I never had before. Um, but I knew I needed to find out what it was, what it meant. And uh so I was driving by the high school one day, and I saw the preacher and his son on the tennis court. I pulled my car over, and I stopped and hollered at him to come talk to me. And he came over to the fence, and uh, I told him what I was feeling. And he said, I think the feeling that you're having is that you're, you're needing salvation. 
And he explained to me in detail what that meant for me. And right there, I accepted Christ. And uh, a couple weeks later, uh, I was baptized. Um, And I believe that was probably the first time my dad had been to church that I can remember. I saw him in the baptism service. Um, I want to say this. My parents, fantastic. Been married 46 years a day, I believe. Uh, Sorry. I'm starting to get a little emotional. Um, They instilled a lot of good values in us growing up. It just wasn't centered around God. And so my story strays from the path that a lot of people actually hear that grew up in church. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, things changed when you were a teenager. And um, you, you you gave your life to Christ. You accepted Christ as your Savior. But you still were kind of struggling, not knowing exactly how to live that out or what that exactly looked like. And so you'd put your faith in Christ, but what it meant to be a disciple of Christ, what it really meant to follow him and pursue him hadn't, hadn't yet been there um, for you. And so, um, so you just kind of told me you just kind of floated through that, that season of life, did the best you could, but, um, but still were, you weren't like grounded in your faith. Right, I would, I'd go to church, I would attend the services, you know, I'd pray. Mm-hmm. Um, I would do all the things that, you know, you're naturally supposed to do once you've, once you've been through that. But mm-hmm. I still didn't have that, that strong feeling that I needed to live my life a lot differently. I mean, I did the things, I, I was good, but I just, I was still very worldly. Mm-hmm. Um, so leaving the teens, going into my early 20s, it wasn't really, it wasn't really part of what I felt like I needed to be doing. I was a believer. I was always a believer. I never, I, you know, like a lot of teenagers do, I question things, but I've always known that there's a God and that he was there for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just a matter of do I need to turn my life over to him fully or do I still go through as a human being and, and live worldly like a lot of people do? Right, because because the when we come to Christ, we put our faith in Christ for salvation. That that happens in a moment when we when we trust Him for salvation. But then, the decision to be like Christ is a lifelong decision, and that's a process that starts starts with the decision to put our faith in Christ. But then that process of discipleship is something that for some people happens really fast, and some people happens really slowly, and it. And it has a lot to do with the environments that we're in and who's around us and what our, you know, what our desires are. Um, so you were kind of just going through. Eventually you find, you're, eventually find yourself, I'm going to fast forward a little bit here, but you find yourself engaged to someone who's not the woman sitting next to you. Um, and uh, you, you were in that relationship, but it was just sort of the natural progression, which happens to us, by the way. We get into relationships, and then we just feel like they have to progress naturally, and, and eventually it's like, oh, yeah, well, the next thing is to be engaged. So you found yourself in a relationship like that, but it wasn't healthy, right? And why was that? Right. So, in fact, Jennifer and I were both engaged to other people. Uh, she was when she was in Ohio before she moved down here and met me, and I was before I met her. Um, and I'll let her, her go into her story on that. But for me, the reason the relationship was so unhealthy is because I was selfish. I was so selfish. I treated her terrible. I chose myself and my friends over her. I didn't look at what I was doing to her or what it was causing for our future. And I knew when I asked her to marry me, it was, it was terrible. It was a terrible idea. I just felt like it was the next step in the process and I was supposed to do it. 
my parents got married at 17, 18 years old and uh, had kids young, and I didn't want to wait till I was 40 to start having children. I wanted my kids to be grown and out of the house while I was still early enough to enjoy life. <laughs> so, I mean, my parents had an empty house when they were 40 years old, which was fantastic for them. You know, we've came back a few times here and there, but all in all, it's been, it's been nice. So that was kind of one of my reasons for, for asking her to marry me when I did. And, uh, but it, like I said, I was so selfish. I chose myself and my friends and what I wanted to do over anything involving her and I together. And eventually it just it came to a boiling point and I could not put her through that anymore and I couldn't go through that anymore. So we broke it off. And then you met each other. And then we met each other. Um, we did. We met each other um, and um, in September. Um, and um, oh, I'm going to let you tell this. I am. I am. I'm going to let you tell the story. But, you know, I think it's just important for us, you know, both of us have incredible parents who we've been able to really look at for um, over our lifetime and just their love. And I know um, my parents were married. Um, after two months of knowing each other, and they just celebrated 49 years. So we've really been blessed with just incredibly supportive families um, moving forward. But So we decided to replicate both of their quick. Yeah, so like I said, Jennifer had been engaged before, but her relationship wasn't as tumultuous as mine, I guess. And um, she was able to break that off cleanly and move to North Carolina, and that's, that's kind of how we met. Um, we met in September, we got engaged in December, we got married in May, and we had a kid in July. A year later. <laughs> yeah, apparently he loves to tell that part of the story and leave out the year later year in later. July. Yeah. <laughs> it's just funny. So. Yeah. Well, you told, me, you told me that you had you had a lot of growing up to do, and that when you met, you were finally ready to put each other first. Um, and that, by the way, if you don't know that yet... That is what makes relationships work, is when you are willing to put the other person ahead of yourself. And every time you put yourself ahead of the other person, the relationship starts to break down. So just, that's a little thing for you. But you, uh, you realize that you needed to put each other first, and you started to do it. But faith was, um, was not a big priority, Michael, for you when you got married. It was more for you, Jennifer. And... Um, so you were engaged, you wanted to, you actually needed a church to get married in, right? Um, and so you started looking around at different churches and found some sort of strange things and some more familiar things. Uh, but Michael, you told me a story, um, and I just think this is something interesting to, to hear and to know and think about. Um, but you were, you guys were engaged, you were living in the same house, but you had separate rooms. And uh, that was a commitment you had made. And you were outside, you were working on something in the yard, was it a car, or working on the car, and um, this church group came through their, their neighborhood um, wearing suits and kind of from a traditional um, uh, background, and they started talking to you about church, and you said, you know, I've, I've been looking for a church, I've been looking for a church, and they started talking about the church, and then they put it together that you guys were living in the same house together when you were, you were engaged at the time, was during engagement, when you were engaged, and they just like tore into you and like started, you know, basically chastising you for your sin. And it became really clear to you that you weren't even welcome at their church. Right. Right. And that was a big turnoff. It was. You. It pushed me further away from the path. Yeah. You know, I, I, 
If I'm not welcome in a church, where am I welcome? Mm-hmm. I'm welcome in places that aren't judgy. You know, right. I'm not going to be judged if I go hang out with friends. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I wanted to stay away from a church like that. And that, that was just one more nail in the coffin of me wanting to be part of a church. I still believed, but I also knew the way I lived. And I, I couldn't have them telling me that I was going to burn in hell for my sins. I wasn't ready for that yet. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so you weren't interested in being a part of a church that wasn't on your radar at all. Jennifer, it was for you, though. So can you talk a little bit about what it's like to be married, young, married, and to have faith as a priority for you, but to be married to a husband who it's not? Yeah. Um, so he did say, you know, we got engaged in September. Well, I also had just moved down to North Carolina by myself without family and friends that July. And from that moment, um, I'd always been involved in church and I was searching like crazy to find a place that um, would feel like home um, because I was so far away from the people that I love the most. Um, and Michael jumped in on board. He knew that's what I needed and what I wanted. So like he always does, he came with me sometimes trying to help me find what would work for me, not for us. It wasn't about us. It was about I had to find something where I felt um, that I had a family. And so um, shortly, like a week or two actually, after we got married, um, I found a church at Mount Pleasant United Methodist, or excuse me, Jackson Park United Methodist uh, in Kannapolis. And it was just a mile, not even a mile from our home. Um, and immediately I felt connections. Um, and he'll joke because they all were about 10 years older than I am. Um, some were even older. And he jokes about that, but they were. They just took me in under their wing um, and loved me and loved Michael. Um, and there was always an excuse. Michael worked third shift, so there was always an excuse easy for me to say, oh, he's not here. He had to work last night. Um, and he just he needed to sleep. So I had an easy excuse because um, it is hard sometimes going to church by yourself and sitting in that row and going, you know, is anybody going to talk to me? Is anybody going to care that I'm here? Um, and so they really did just... Um, love us and support us, and having that community is so important. Um, We had a miscarriage before we had Lily Grace, and that was a really tough time. And the people just love you, and the community loves you, and our family loved us, and just having those people that are there supporting and loving you during a really tough time in your life is so vital. Um, and, And that's important when you make a commitment and you don't have that person beside you that's right there beside you, but when the church doesn't just take you, they take both of you. It's really, it was vital in that time frame. So they were really, they were really instrumental in sort of reeling Michael as much as they could, um, even though you were resistant to it. But you started warming up to it as time went on. From what right, you right. So I was very introverted up until the last few years, and Jennifer was very extroverted. So it was easy for her to go somewhere that she didn't know anyone and get involved. And for me to come into a room with people I didn't know, I would sit back and I wouldn't speak. I would observe. It would take a very long time for me to open up. So that's the way this church was. But the first Sunday I was there, she mentioned to them that the part of the service that I hated the most was when they say, get up and shake hands of everybody around you. And the uh, worship leader pointed me out and said, go hug him. (laughs) Don't shake his hand. Go hug him. And... My skin crawled. I was, I was so frightened of what was going on. But I also saw the love that they were sharing with me that they were going to start pouring into me. So it made it a little easier. And you guys really needed that because early on in your relationship, you went, out, you went through a lot of really difficult things. 
Yeah, so it was pretty rough. Um, between the miscarriage that we had had, uh, we were 24 years old, going about 25 at the time. She was pregnant. Um, we decided for her to stay home with Lily Grace when she was born. Uh, what that meant was we were down to a single income house. So I had to support a family on an income of about 30,000 or less. Um, my job was very, very labor intensive. I didn't have the energy to take on a second job uh, or the time because I'd work long hours to, to make that money. And uh, so those things coupled with a lot of other difficulties we were going through financially and things like that, it really, it really put a lot of strain on our relationship. It really did. Um, there are definitely moments in that early stages that we struggled um, with anything that you could imagine, financial, um, just getting along. Um, you know, I was, I always say I was an incredible stay-at-home mom. I think Lily Grace and Maddie would say that. I loved being a stay-at-home mom. I was a horrible stay-at-home wife. Um, and when you're a horrible stay-at-home wife with a husband that is putting in the efforts that he was putting in, it creates a lot of strain on a marriage. Yeah, so once I made the commitment to get married, I made the commitment to change myself, to put her first. Um, unlike my previous relationship, I made Jennifer my priority. However, over time, we had so many struggles and fought tooth and nail that it made it very hard for us just to get along all the time, and we fell out of love. Um, there were times where I, I despised looking at her and she despised looking at me because we hated the person that we were standing, staring at. You know, the person that was in front of us was not the person that we loved. And that, with the strain that that put on the relationship, it, it got us into a situation that um, was even harder to come out of. Uh, I began a relationship. Uh, it, was, it was not physical. It never turned physical. It was an emotional relationship with a girl I went to high school with. And a couple months in, I got caught. It never turned physical. It was just emotional and verbal, and I got caught. And when I got caught, the walls came crashing down, and it was, it was an eye-opener for us. Um, so at that point, we had to kick, up the, kick it up a notch in, in how we related to each other and how to figure out the problems, how to fix them. Um, so, and I would say at that time I was a um, children's director at a church working part time so I could help with the finances but still keep our commitment of wanting um, me to be home for a little bit with our girls um, we had foster children at that time um, all through this very tremendous time I was pregnant with Maddie when that did occur and um, we had to learn to really work together and we had to go back to the best advice we ever got as a couple um, early on right before we actually got married and it was marriage is not 50 50 uh, marriage is not a hundred hundred every day we wake up we cannot give the other person a hundred percent we cannot give the other person 50 percent we've got to meet each other where where one another are and we really have lived that now um, through sickness and health, through finances, through all those different things that you promised at your vows, we had to say, sometimes I'm going to get up and, Michael Brandon, I can give you 30%. I'm like, I need you to give me 70 um, or vice versa. And we've really had to lean on that fact that we're there, we're a partnership, um, and we've got to meet each other where one another are. So a lot of, a lot of relationships wouldn't have survived 
what you went through. In fact, I would probably say the majority of relationships wouldn't have survived what you went through. But you had tremendous examples of parents who were committed to one another through thick and thin. You've lived out the vows, all of them, right? <laughs> You've lived out better, worse, richer, poorer, sickness and health. And when, even in, even in a situation where what you, the way you guys put it to me when we were talking this week was that there were periods of time where there was no love. There was no love between you in the home. And relationships can be like that. And they go through seasons like that. And, but you made the commitment to stay. And Michael, one of the things you told me about Jennifer is when you got caught and, and, and had that situation, the level of grace that she had in that situation was a tremendous example to you. Not so much right then. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was a couple years later, and we'll yeah. get into that story. Um, but it, it took a long time to get there, and it took us being involved in, in the ministry in order to get to that point. Right. So, um, so things, things changed drastically for you guys because you were sitting in that, yeah. in the reality of that. Um, and when you actually stepped away from being children's director at a church, stepped out of a ministry job and took another job, uh, just so happened to be at Irwin Middle School <laughs> as a teacher. So if you want to talk about that season when things really started to open up for you guys. So um, I stepped away from the ministry to go back to teaching, um, where I just have always felt God calling me. Um, if you're a teacher, you know it's, it's, a, it's a calling. Um, and so it still was a ministry, but it was just different. And I got to meet Jess Allen there, who um, we, would, we weren't on the same grade level. So if you've ever taught middle school, it's hard to have connections with people that aren't on your grade level. And for whatever reason, and I know it was God because God has put so many people in our life to get us through so many things. She just kept talking to me about church. And um, as we were again, there we are looking for a church again. Um, and she would, and she talked heavily about just coming and that they would love on our girls. And so um, that summer, um, High Rock at the time was starting a Saturday night service. And I thought, huh, I wonder if Michael would try Saturday nights. And we tried it. Yeah, so we really, we went and... The, uh, the format that they used at that church was designed specifically to target me, uh, 25 to 35-year-old unchurched male. And uh, that was me. I was in that range. And uh, the first time we walked into that church, I go up there, I sit down, I see John Allen walk up on stage with his guitar, and he sings a Foo Fighters song. I'm like, what is this? This is amazing. This, this church plays secular music, but as I listen to the song, I could, I could understand why it worked in church. I didn't know that you could sing that kind of music in church, but the meaning behind the song that he was singing, it played to me. And uh, at that point, you know, I'm, I'm engaged, which was the point of it. It was to engage me. From there, I listened to the next song, which was a worship song, and then another one. And then I'm, I'm engaged. I want to hear the service. Hear the service. Tell Jennifer when we get in the car, I'm ready to come back. I really enjoyed that. It was the first time I'd been to a church that didn't try to scare me into living right as much as teach me why I want to live right. And it was, it was amazing. It was a new experience for me. It, it really was. And it was, it was a monumental change in our marriage. Um, because up until that time, I was getting the girls ready for church. And I still was making excuses why Michael wasn't at church at being a ministry leader. 
um, because your spouse should be there. And I would continually give those excuses. And here we are in this monumental change. He was saying, babe, tomorrow night, Saturday, like we're going to church. Um, let's go, girls, let's go. Get, let's get everybody ready. And he was now the spiritual leader of our house. And that... Yeah, so that was something that I was learning through that church, that it was my job. Not just to be the provider of the family, but to be the spiritual leader. So I began praying about it and studying about it and figuring out how to do this. And I'm not perfect by any means. I'm not tooting my own horn because I'm, I'm definitely not perfect. Um, but I always, since that point, I've put God first. And it's worked. It, it's worked. Yeah, and so um, during that time, we had started, I think, I'm almost positive it was a July. I swear it was like the last Saturday in July when the Saturday night services started. Um, and I was getting closer with Jess at school and just talking about their things. And then they got their, you know, announcement that they were going to be moving. And I looked at Michael, and he's like, Jen, we're not moving to South Carolina. I was like, okay. Well, at that same point, though, Harrisburg was opening a church plant, and we decided as a family that we were going to support it. Yeah, so we decided we would go down there. I would help with, I volunteered. I would help with the construction process and the clean out of the building, and um, we hadn't had a very long relationship with the new pastor there, but what we had seen at the church, we enjoyed, we liked, and uh, so we decided we would follow him. It was a little bit closer to the Myrtle Beach, and um, so that's what we did. We followed him down there and the services continued to draw me in and make me love it even more. You know, they would, they played Leonard Skinner. I mean, what's not to love? Yeah, that was, that was a, that was a strategy that we did with that church. And it really was, it was, it was, let's do something up front that a 30 year old guy is going to walk in when he's not likely to stick around a church or want to be in church. Let's just do something that's going to connect with them. And, and then we'll get them from there. But like, that's just, just like, it's just a hook, you know, let's just hook them. And I remember, by the way, I remember that weekend, cause I'm pretty sure we played walk by the Foo Fighters. And, um, and I, we went out and we did the song. And then after the service, I was talking to some people and I was like, they hated that. <laughs> like, I, didn't, I was like, I don't think anybody liked that, but apparently you did. So, <laughs> so it worked in that case, but that drew you in and drew you in and drew you in. And then you started seeing what God wanted for your life and for your marriage, for your family. You started and helped with, with, the, with Harrisburg starting and you got involved in ministry, right? Because you, Michael, you volunteered. You were like, hey, I can help with coffee. Absolutely not. No, no, yes, I did. I, I raised my hand. I said, I wouldn't mind helping make coffee on yeah, Sunday mornings. Right. So right. we went to the planning process, mm -hmm. and they're like, well, we've got these needs. And, you know, we, you know, we looked at Michael and said, yep, he, you know, he's wanting to do coffee. And I'm just feeling pulled, you know, because I can't ever say no. And I was like, okay. So after he goes on with the girls, and I'm talking with the ministers at that time, and I was like, hey, I think Michael and I can take over the hospitality. We'll just run hospitality in a plant church. So we get back together, get in the car, and he's like, yes, I said I would uh, help with coffee. And I said, I'm really glad you are because we're leading it. <laughs> yes, that's a trend in our marriage now. <laughs> because, <yeah. laughs> it is, it is. Uh, but it, it was fantastic. I learned a lot, and I met a lot of people, and it started helping me become extroverted. <laughs> yeah, it really did change. And then not only did you have the opportunity to serve there and started doing that together, um, but you started developing 
relationships with people that were centered around Christ, and that's been had a big impact on you as well. It, it really did. Um, during our time there, we met our dearest um, friends, Stephen and Jamie West, who have been monumental in our life growing up, just us growing and building our relationship with Christ and building that community. And again, in a marriage, you've got to surround yourself with people that are um, going to lift your marriage up um, and not pull you back. And so um, through that relationship, through, again, how important small groups are, we had an incredible small group. In fact, we just got back together with our small group just a couple weeks ago. Um, And that was about 10 or 11 years ago. Um, so those relationships are just um, so impactful. Yeah, and it's amazing how how important relationships, the, the relationships that we put around us are to us keeping our commitments. Because in your marriage with the things that you've gone through, if you had people around you that were pushing you apart and saying, ah, oh, you don't need him, you need, to, you need to take off or or whatever else, if people are pushing you away like that, then that's the direction that you're going to most likely take. But when you have people around you that are holding you together, when you're, you're, you know, tremendous example from your parents, when you have, when you get into this environment where you have, um, you have other believers around you in a group and what it does is it just starts pushing you together and forward rather than backward and apart, which is what happens to a lot of people. And so that community has been so important to you in helping you keep your commitment and your marriage has continued, even though obviously we all have ups and downs has continued to get stronger and stronger and stronger in those relationships. And, and you've needed that even recently because you, you'd been through better or worse. You'd been through richer or poorer. But last year you went through sickness and health. So you want to talk about that? Right. So it's, it's been probably close to two years, year and a half. My Apple Watch started going off alerting me that it detected an irregular rhythm. Uh, being a man... I didn't go to the doctor. I just thought it's a glitch. I'm not going to worry about it. Obviously, something's wrong with the watch. Right. Something's yeah. wrong with the watch. It's never done this before. I'm fine. I feel the same as I have for the last year, which was terrible, by the way. I didn't feel good. I just, I didn't. I had a lot of things going on with my body, and I couldn't get to where I felt good. It didn't matter what I did. So um, I ignored the watch. Months, months went by. Daily reminders on my watch, I ignored it. And then uh, in June last year, we went on a cruise with Jamie and Stephen and their family. And during that cruise, my watch started alerting me five, six, seven times a day that it was detecting that irregular rhythm, not once or twice. And uh, then I started getting nervous. Told Jennifer, really, really made her nervous because we're out in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> we can't just run to the doctor or hospital. And uh, I told her, I feel the same. You know, I'm just, I'm tired all the time, but. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll get through. Uh, as soon as we got back home, she made me go to the doctor. The doctor told me it's probably just uh, PVCs, which is just your heart's making a weird rhythm, and it's nothing to worry about. Everybody has them. But we're going to put you on a heart monitor for two weeks, and every time you get that alert on your phone, push this button, it'll send a, a message to us, and we'll know to look at that specific time. Um, so I put it on. I go to work. For the next two weeks, very physical again, 15, 16, 18 hours a day. And uh, I turned the monitor back in, and he calls me. He couldn't get a hold of me, so then he called Jennifer, and he told her that he really needed to speak to me. Um, I guess he explained to her what what was going on on the, on the heart monitor, but uh, long story short, 
he got in touch with me, told me that my heart was in an AFib rhythm 100% of the time, which meant it wasn't beating. It was vibrating. Um, my resting heart rate was in the 150s, 160s most of the time because that's how it was doing it. So the gist of it is it wasn't pumping blood from the top to the bottom like it's supposed to and circulating my body. So I had no oxygen getting to all my organs most of the time, which is why I felt terrible all the time. And uh, at that point, I was justified in telling her, I don't feel like doing anything. I'm not lazy. I just don't feel good. Um, so he said, I need to schedule you with a cardiologist as soon as possible. Within a couple of days, we were in the cardiologist's office. He ran an EKG and said, yeah, this is bad. Uh, need to schedule you first thing tomorrow morning for cardioversion. We're going to put you in the hospital. We're going to put pads on your chest. We're going to shock your heart back into rhythm. Okay. I was freaking out a little bit, but, you know, it was okay. Next morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, we go to the hospital. They put me in, put me under. Uh, shot my heart back into rhythm. I woke up. Felt amazing, like a new man. Um, yes, yeah, so they they came out from the um, from the operating rooms that we did. We shocked him, and his heart's back in rhythm. And he said, "But," and I was like, "But." And he looked at me and he said, um, "He's got a really bad valve, and he's going to have to have open heart surgery." Well, this was a year ago. We still were a little bit with COVID, and I told the family, "Y'all, I'm good. I'll go by myself. I'm fine." I told our friends. I'm fine. I'm just going to be by myself. They're going to shock it. He's going to be back in rhythm. We're going to come home, and we'll call you all when it's over. So here I am sitting by myself in a room. Don't ever do that. It's not fun. Um, so the doctor's saying, your husband's going to have to have open-heart surgery. And I lose it, of course, because I cry very easy. And um, I was responsible for calling the families. And so who did I call first? I called Stephen um, because I could not get myself under control enough to be able to call his parents and my parents and tell him what was happening. Um, so I did ask the doctor, so you are gonna tell him, right? I don't have to tell him. And he's like, yes, we're gonna tell him, it's fine. So I go back in, he's sitting there with the best smile I have seen in years, um, just feeling great. Obviously the doctor didn't tell him. Yeah, so I had color back in my face instead of just being pale white. Um, the nurse, when they brought me out, he said, Everything went well. Your heart's back in rhythm. Uh, just so you know, the doctor did find a leaky valve. He'll come in and talk to you about it. Okay. All right. Well, I, I didn't know what that meant. He didn't say I was going to have to have surgery. Uh, he just said I had a leaky valve. I thought, okay, well, medicine will fix that, I guess. I don't know. Um, so then Jennifer came in, and she was talking to me, and she said, did they tell you? I said, yeah. What's, what's the big deal? And uh, she said, you got to have open heart surgery. Wow. What? So it was a slap in the face. It brought me from the highest of highs that I'd had in so long to the lowest of lows real quick. And uh, we just, we, we, had to, we had to get through that. We did. Um, and so we came home. We had to tell our um, now 16-year-old daughter, Lily Grace, and my youngest was not home. Um, she was in Ohio. So I told my parents, don't say anything to her. And I'll never forget that conversation either, to tell your kids that, their dad's sick and that they're going to have to have some pretty massive surgery is the most difficult thing we've ever had to do. Um, but of course our girls are so strong and so loving and they just wrapped their daddy up and loved him and prayed for him. Um, it's awesome when your kids pray for, um, it's just great. Yeah. So, you know, that happened and then 
I wanted to make it very clear to everybody. I didn't want to hold it in. I didn't want to keep it secret. Uh, I posted on Facebook what was going to happen, what had happened. I wanted everybody to know because if what I was going through at 40 years old could help someone else avoid that, I wanted them to know. The, the problem I had with my heart wasn't because of my weight. My health issues were because of I had strep throat at some point in my 20s and it went undiagnosed. And the virus attacked the valve on my heart and started eating it away. So that's something that I was never taught growing up. I didn't know that. So this, this was something I wanted people to know just in case because everybody gets strep throat. I wanted them to know, go get checked out. Take care of yourself. And uh, she was a little nervous with me putting it out there and our business being out there. But I wanted everybody to know. I wanted everybody to have a chance to avoid that. Yeah, and so um, that was, we found that out in about almost in the middle of July, and by August 29th, we had our, our surgery scheduled, um, and I don't think we'll ever forget August 28th, and it was um, here in this church um, where you all wrapped our family. Yeah, so I, I woke up that morning, I rode my motorcycle to church, just breathing because it might be the last time I ever get to ride. And uh, came in and sat down, and I was a basket case the entire time. Every song they sang, the words spoke to me. Every thought in my mind, I was bawling like a baby. And uh, towards the end of service, Jess sent Jen a message and said that she was feeling led to pray over me. So uh, if, if I was okay with that, and I said, yeah, I'm fine with that. I, that. That was a big reason I wanted everybody to know what was going on because I needed prayer. I needed community. And I needed family to wrap their arms around me. I needed the support of everybody here to know that I was loved and that I could get through. So um, you all did. You wrapped your arms around us very tightly. That morning was very, very powerful for our family, um, for our girls. Um, Maddie is actually not even in here because she gets so tenderhearted, and so she wanted to serve in the nursery because she will never forget that moment either. Um, but you all wrapped, again, your arms around us, and we had surgery scheduled the next morning, um, and he went in. Um, and they tell you it's going to be about three to four hours, and when it's about seven to eight hours later and he's still not out, um, your anxiety pretty much goes full, full spread. And our families were there loving us and supporting me and supporting the girls. Um, and he didn't wake up for a really long time. So um, I stayed till about 10 o'clock at night when they said, listen, we don't know when he's going to get up. We don't know when he's going to wake. You, you need to go home. Um, so I finally get a call at about 12.45 the next day in the morning and said, your husband's going to talk to you. Yeah, so at about midnight, they extubated me, woke me up, and uh, had a phone dialed, handed it to me, and I spoke to her, told her I was awake. And that was pretty much all I can remember. Uh, the stuff that was in my system, I hallucinated most of the night, to be honest about it. <laughs> I didn't know where I was. I saw things that weren't there. But... <laughs> But I, I know I spoke to her, and uh, I didn't sleep all night. Next morning, I'm sitting in the same place, just trying to trying to get my bearings. And uh, everyone in our family and friends were checking on me. Um, they were all worried. And uh, it was the hardest thing I'd ever physically been through in my life. But... Afterwards, you know, 10 days in the hospital, come home, I got to go through recovery process, rehab, and I come to church, and uh, a member of the church came to me and told me that he had really wished that he knew what was going on with me because he went through it a year before, 
and he kept it secret because, not necessarily kept it secret, he just didn't put it out there. He didn't think it really would affect anybody else, so he didn't share his story when, in fact, his story could have helped. And it really did, too, because you all have talked multiple times over the last year about your things, how you felt, and what's coming up next. Yeah, and that's, that's a big part of why we're here today sharing our story, not just the health story, not just the, the relationship, financial things. I want everyone to know that the community is there for you, and there's nothing that I'm going through that's unique. Someone has gone through it. Yeah, I could have easily said, nobody's going through this heart surgery. But then somebody else has. Um, it's... It's the community and the, the friendships and the relationships that we have in the church that have helped us through a lot of these situations. And uh, don't think that you're, you're unique. These problems that we're facing, a lot of you have faced. Nobody knows, nobody talks about it because they don't think anybody else is dealing with it. You know, we made this commitment, John, almost, it'll be 17. We just hit 17 years. Um, we've been together 18 in the fall. Um, and we said divorce was never an option. Um, and we could have made that statement and never walked into church, and we wouldn't be still together. I know it without a shadow of doubt that if we did not have our families and our community and our friendships um, and our church family, we would not be sitting here together. And our, our children would be, you know, struggling with the fact that their parents weren't together. And, and to be able to see what we were able to be raised in, which was, two, you know, two families sticking it out, but I know without a shadow of doubt, we made that commitment. We said never, divorce was never on the table. Um, but if it, it is not for the community of love and support over the years, we wouldn't be where we are now. Yeah, and that to me is one of the, the things that I heard come from, out of your story over and over and over again, um, how your faith consistently either held you on by a thread at some points, but held you really tight. Um, when you needed it, and and you you said consistently to me, you, you need to know they were both very nervous about doing this. <laughs> okay, very nervous about doing it. And Jennifer, you you told me you, you tend to keep things private. You tend to keep things um, because you don't want to. I think you don't want to burden people, um, and um, and so you kind of keep this fence or this hedge around. So to to sit here and share with all of you takes a lot of courage. So I commend you for that. But as, as Christians, if we don't have the courage to take the, the, the wall down and be honest about what we're dealing with, how are we going to find help or how are we going to find relationships with people who've been through the same things that we're going through or have been through? Scripture tells us that we're supposed to comfort one another with the comfort by which we have been comforted. So when, when the Lord walks us through things and carries us through things, he wants us to then use those to walk other people through those same things. We can't do that if we don't talk about them. We can't do it if we don't talk about them after we've gone through them. And we can't do that if we don't talk about them when we're in the middle of it. And say, hey, you know, suffering in silence is not strength. And saying, this is where I'm at right now and I'm scared to death. And I bet you there's someone else in our church that has been scared to death in that exact same situation. And, um, and so that kind of community is, is really, really important. And it's really neat to see your story coming from two different spiritual backgrounds, two very different paths, struggling through the early years in particular, but to see the way that God has, has reeled you in, 
has brought faith to the center of your life and your family and what difference that's made uh, today as opposed to 18 years ago, almost 18 years ago. It's incredible to see what God can do in your life. And so thank you for sharing that with us today. Can we thank them for sharing their story with us today? And uh, and I want to encourage you, uh, this goes without saying, I hope, but if there's anything from their story that connected with you, something that you've been through or are going through now, they would love, they, they're committed to um, helping and serving. And so they would love to be able to talk and, and help you through that. So um, let's take a minute. Let's pray together as we finish today. Um, ask God to bless you and your family and uh, the time that we spent today. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for uh, your children and your family that sits here together today in this room. Uh, we thank you that by faith in Christ, we are brothers and sisters and we are your children. We thank you that um, as we walk on this path together of becoming like Christ, that you are walking with us and that you've given us each other. And both of those things are so important. And so we thank you for that today. We thank you as we can look and see all the things that we've all individually gone through and are going through to see your work in your hand. And we recognize today that God, some of the most powerful work that you do in our life is through other believers in our life through the power of the Spirit working through them to draw us closer to you. So we thank you for that today. Thank you for Michael and for Jennifer and for their story, their testimony, what you have done in their life as they've walked through difficult things, rocky things, but you've been there and you've drawn them in and you've drawn them closer and you've given them opportunities and experiences that have opened their eyes to who you are and to what you want from them and for them. And so we thank you for them, for their girls, for the, the, the family that they are in your name today, the way that you have centered them on you and walking forward in faith as a family. And we ask that you bless them, that you continue to bless them, draw them closer to each other, draw them closer to you, bless them, bless their ministry, even in our church, in our midst, as they serve and um, as they worship and grow. We thank you for them. We thank you for all of the stories. And we only, in this series, God, we only, you only bring a few people up on stage, but everybody here has a story and a testimony. And I pray that our testimonies would increasingly get stronger. The story of what you are doing in your life, in our life, your impact on our life, how you're changing us, how you're growing us, how you're molding us, how you're opening up our eyes and our hearts and our lives to what you've created us for. And so we take all of this and we offer it back to you today. We pray that you are blessed and honored. May you receive the honor and glory through our lives. And we thank you for it today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.